How did you like the uh, the tweet uh, the other day from Freddie Prince? <laughs> it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. Great. All these. Do girls. you know him or did he just do that? No, I've never I've never met him in my life. He just that was just the random of randoms, and all these girls who I was in love with in tenth grade who wouldn't go out with me were all like, "Oh, Freddie wouldn't go." It's Monday on the Hoop Collective. <coughs> well, no, we got to start over. Someone decided. To <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's Monday again. <laughs> it's another Monday on the Hoop Collective. Uh, Andrew Hahn, no Chineo Gumake, no Cassidy Hubbard, no Ramona Shulburn. They're much, much too important these days in the middle of the playoffs. So I got slightly less important people. Uh, in Seattle, we have Kevin Pelton. Hey. In Los Angeles, back from a, a stimulating ride with the Washington Wizards, we have Om Young Misuk. What up, what up? Uh, in San Francisco. Uh, someone that decided to jump off the, the Milwaukee Bucks ship very early before the, the ultimate demise. We have Nick Friedle. I saw that demise coming from a, a mile away, Mr. Han. Yeah, I remember you so, saying yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that that ship was going to go down even before the regular season ended. <laughs> yeah, and then everybody starts freaking out. Oh, man, the Celtics don't have Kyrie Irving, and they don't have Hayward. It's the Bucks time. No. And in Houston, because apparently what we've decided to do is if uh, if you are conquered, then you just join the victoring party. We have Royce Young now with the. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say. I was hoping you were going to introduce me as Kevin Durant. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I just got Royce myself in hot water, didn't I? Royce is getting some texts. <laughs> Hashtag on brand. <laughs> uh, Royce, I'm going to start with you because I think I think the Oklahoma City Thunder is the one that probably faces the most questions of the recently eliminated teams. Give us yep. like 15-second post-mortem autopsy of the Oklahoma City Thunder for us. Bad season, disappointment, Carmelo Anthony, 28 million, question mark. Paul George, what does he do in the future, period, the end. How's that? 43 shots. <laughs> Russell Westbrook, 43 shots, is can you build a team around him, period, the end. Am I allowed to talk longer than that, or is that enough? Yes, please. Is there anything more that needs to be said? Look, I mean, it, it's well, no, obviously I... a super interesting summer ahead, and you know, I'm sure everybody's got their thought. Carmelo Anthony's exit interview was fascinating on a number of different levels. Um, basically, you know, everybody around the league, as we all know, believes that Carmelo Anthony is not turning down $28 million. I would say he's, it sounds like he's at least sort of weighing, am I happy right now versus do I want $28 million? And, you know, him and, you know, I I don't know what I would call it, but Carmelo clearly has a different perception of himself at this stage in his career than I think than most people see him. Uh, And, and let me say this, because a lot of people are talking about Carmelo Anthony and, and, and kind of uh, making fun of them and everything. Carmelo was a complete professional in Oklahoma City. You can talk to anybody around the team, front office, fellow players, coaching staff, anybody within the organization. There was not a peep out of Carmelo Anthony in terms of complaining about role. He took it on. He tried to do his best. He just didn't do it very well. 
And I think once the season ended, he wasn't very happy about it. So that, that opens up a pretty interesting summer in terms of what he wants to do, then combined with Paul George and what he's going to do. And, and really, it could be back to Russell Westbrook, the one-man show, uh, um, come next season if, if things don't go well for the Thunder. Wait, Royce, are we counting Mo Cheeks in the, the third quarter of Game 5? Was that a peep of complaint about his role? I don't know if that was like, I mean, that was that obviously had like like looked bad. But in terms of like, that was him, you know, wanting like itching to get back in the game and like, you know, kind of arguing over it. But like, in ter- I'm talking more like in terms of like, you know, Carmelo had multiple games, KP, where he took six or fewer shots. And he right. had more games in his career than he scored that he scored single digits. And I'm sure privately there was there was conversations and and there was a lot of stuff from Billy Donovan behind closed doors where he was saying, hey, we have got to find Melo more, you know, Russell Westbrook. And they, they had a hard time finding him shots because he was doing what he was asked to do. He was spotting up on the perimeter, but they just weren't really finding him consistently. But in terms of like Melo saying, hey, I'm just not doing that. I'm getting back to what I'm comfortable with. He never really pushed back on that. He took the new position on. He did what he asked him to do. Um, and. At the end of the season, it didn't really turn out all that great. But I, I kind of wonder if, if the final two games is what's changed Melo's perception on this because he lost playing time and the Thunder lost, the, uh, you know, got eliminated. And I wonder if that's kind of where his mindset changed with this. I know Carmelo did not play great at times and it was a struggle defensively and everything. But I, I don't know. I mean, watching from afar, there were times in the fourth quarter, especially in that last game, where I felt like, I know they have Raymond Felton out there, but they, they could use Carmelo Anthony and his outside shooting. And, of course, they didn't, like, sub him in until, like, the final seven seconds. But did you feel like there were times that you were surprised that you did not see Carmelo Anthony on the floor? No, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm surprised that we saw him as much as we did. <laughs> like, he, he became that much of a liability um, in, like, just on the defensive end. I mean, the Jazz were just – Donovan Mitchell, they were trying to force a switch whenever they could, and Donovan Mitchell yeah. would go right at him. Um, but I will say – you know, I, I think Donovan, Billy Donovan, might have missed a little bit of an opportunity to try to kind of go with some offense, defense. You know, he put Carmelo on the floor for like that final possession when the Thunder were trying to tie the game. Um, the fact of the matter is, is I, you know, I wouldn't say that I feel like Westbrook and George lost trust in Melo because they still looked for him, but it really kind of started to become more of a like the Thunder were very there was it was very clear that Westbrook and George were kind of on another tier and Melo was was uh you know a couple rungs below them and I, I, I they didn't really look for him that much and that's why I think Billy Donovan was kind of like look they're not even looking for him they're missing him when he is open so like what's even the point of having him out there yeah and we didn't see that outside shooting from him in this series hey, certainly what did he shoot on uh non uh, uncontested shots KP didn't didn't you tweet something about that or i don't know something uh someone else but it it definitely was not good it was like 25 percent, i think it was horrible i did want to ask you royce one other thing too what was it like watching and covering a game in which somebody took 43 shots (laughs) it was uh it's not the first time i've seen it from russell (laughs) he's done he's done he's done it a couple times you know here's the thing and russell westbrook is forever polarizing everybody and my kind of takeaway from that game six is whatever your pre-existing opinion of Russell Westbrook is, it was either it was validated one way or the other. If if you're if you're somebody that's highly critical of him and you think that he's a ball hog and he's selfish and you can't build a team around him, you watch that game six and you said, see, see what I'm talking about. If you're somebody that thinks that his competitive spirit is unmatched and the way that he plays uh, with his heart and soul on the court, and while yes, maybe he takes bad shots, but you kind of you live and die by it, and you take the good with the bad. Because Russell Westbrook is going to kill himself out there on the court to win, 
then that's what you saw in that game six. And yeah. as somebody that's watched him for 10 years, I mean, this is Russell Westbrook. He, he puts himself out there. It, it's he, you know, he took 19 three pointers, but like with, with West, with these type of games, Ohm, there's always like a context to like Westbrook. So like in that third quarter, Donovan Mitchell scores 22 points on eight of eight of 10 shooting. Westbrook went toe to toe with them and kept the thunder in the game. Westbrook took 15 of his shots in that third quarter himself. If Westbrook just lays down in that third quarter and just like, well, I'm going to work the offense and see if what we can figure out the thunder down 22 points or something going into the fourth quarter. So like for Westbrook, it has always been, he's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't. And that's just, that just how he is. And to his credit, he like just kind of ignores it. And he just goes out there. There's Zach Lowe wrote, I think a perfect piece about Westbrook kind of digging into the nuance. And that's the problem with this Westbrook conversation. Everybody's just on one side of the fence or the other. There's plenty of room for conversation and nuance and discussion about Westbrook oh, no. and where he could improve. No, no, no. But like, it's like you have to like pick your battle line. It's like you have to draw your line yeah. in the sand. You're either yep. for Russ or against <laughs> Russ, yep. and that's a problem. That's that's the way it is everywhere now, Royce. It's just you know Westbrook is emblematic of the way that we have to approach the world today. So that's true. Let's. Uh, but I'm a, I'm actually I'm actually right down the middle on that. I'm actually in the middle of exactly nope, the rush. There's no place for I mean, go well, here. Is it possible. I okay. think you need to push the red button on your phone and get off this podcast because you clearly are not capable of podcasting in the year 2018. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have to have a take. You have to take a side. KP uh, <laughs> after after the Jazz and Thunder series, uh, is that the way that the Rockets trounced Utah in Game One? Is that kind of what you thought would happen? Um, I think that what happened in game one was partially reflective of, you know, what short turnaround there was between the two series for the Jazz. I mean, that was an almost impossible game for them to win after playing late on Friday night, traveling to Houston and then playing early on Sunday. So that's a, a brutal schedule. No Rubio, too. Yeah, and no Rubio. But, you know, you looked at this matchup during the regular season and e- even though most of the games were played before the, the trade deadline, before the Jazz added Jay Crowder and, you know, uh, even though Gobert played played in some of them before he got back healthy and they really started rolling in the second half of the season, it still just looked like a bad matchup for the Jazz on paper because even if Rudy Gobert does take away a lot of what the Rockets like to do at the basket, they ha- they can compensate by just adjusting to shoot more threes in a way that Oklahoma City never had the ability to do, that Westbrook didn't have the ability to create high percent, high value looks if he wasn't getting those shots at the basket is he wasn't except when Gobert was in foul trouble in the second half of game five. So, and then offensively, you know, Houston seems to have... Uh, defensively, I should say, Utah has seemed to struggle against Houston as well. That was kind of the issue in the one game they did play after the the trade deadline. So, you know, I I thought that the Rockets were going to be heavy favorites in this series, even though I'm a a big Jazz believer. So I just went over and looked through our expert picks, which you can see on ESPN.com. There are 20-some-odd people that have made picks for every series in every round. And uh, Pelton... Nick and myself have Rockets in five, which seems like a decent proposition these days. Royce has Rockets in six, and Ohm has Rockets in seven. Ohm, do you care to defend yourself? Do you want to backtrack off it already after one game? I think it, no. Uh, you know what? I mean, I think, I think I didn't factor in really that Rubio could be out for a while. So I think that part uh, probably is going to ruin that pick. But I think at, at the Jack, I just was more going off of just how more impressed I was with the Jazz and that the Rockets, I don't know, I think they, they kind of at times don't look as, as great as they can be. And so I thought perhaps maybe 
that might extend the series a little bit more. But with the Rubio injury, that kind of changes a lot of things for me. To me, the Jazz seem like probably the third best team in the West this season. And they're still quite young. And I was wondering, what is the worst player you could add to that team? Or who is the worst player you could add to that team that would put them in a category where you would consider them at least on the same level as the Rockets? Is that hmm. like uh, is Chris Middleton is enough, or Tobias Harris? What's their cap situation? Well, forget about Mr. the cap situation. Like, just who is the player? Like, what is the one player that they need, and like, what is the worst version of that particular player? LeBron to Utah. Can we start that? Well, I mean, but that's like, <laughs> <laughs> why don't, that why sounds don't like we... sounds like an improvement. I think <laughs> yeah, solved it. Yeah. <laughs> sure, LeBron is gonna run out to Salt Lake. He'll be ready for it. I mean, what's the issue that what 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 do you think that they like? What are they missing? I mean, to me, I, I feel like like a league that is so short on three and D wings that can like change, um, that can mix it up on defense. They seem to have enough of that as it is. They need like that first big off the bench that can guard like three, four, five, rebound and shoot a little bit. So like a Trevor Booker maybe or. Patrick they, had I, they 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 had Trevor Booker. I don't know if he he helped them much. I mean, Jay, like if Jay Crowder shot like he did last year in Boston, that that alone might be enough to close up a lot of the gap. The other player that comes to mind is a, another player who's who's been in Utah in recent vintage. Is if you added George like uh, a fully healthy 2017 George Hill to this team, I think they, what they would like is probably like a, a stretch four option. Because I mean, they they tried Jarebko at times, right? They like they you can tell that they like want Jarebko to be that guy, but he's just not very like good. A, so like, like a 2014 Serge Ibaka would be the idea. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly actually who I was thinking in my head was like they need somebody, you know, because that that's always been the funny thing about Serge Ibaka is like when people talked about best three and D players, like that was Serge Ibaka. He was three and D. Like he was he was just he played as a uh, the the D part was on the uh, interior. But um, if they had if and, you know, Favors has taken a couple threes. Like, he, he clearly had something he's trying to work on, but he's just not proficient at it whatsoever. I think they also kind of need, like, a um, like a slasher, a little bit more of a slasher to kind of spell Donovan Mitchell. Look, the Jazz are going to evolve, I think, out, out of the kind of Quinn Snyder systematic approach. They're going to evolve a little bit past that as Donovan Mitchell grows and grows. Look, Mitchell is he is elite already as an ISO player, and he's only going to get better. As as uh, somebody said to me recently, think about think about this with Donovan Mitchell. This is really kind of the worst he's going to be. Like, I mean, he's just going to get better. He's a rookie for crying out loud. So, like, they're going to kind of reshape it to, as his stardom takes off. And I think that they probably might want now Rubio. Kind of, you can put the ball in his hands, but I think that they might want like another slashing wing to kind of take some of that scoring load off of Mitchell. Yeah, I. I think they can use another like clear cut number two score for them. Uh, like somebody who can who who Donovan can look to. I mean, yeah, he's got great great role players around him right now, but just like a, a clear cut number two option would help them a lot. And so I think that's you know I don't know like a younger you know not the Joe Johnson the Joe Johnson they had was good until like the last year or two, but mm-hmm. like somebody in that type of mold who can, you know, basically score, def- do a little defend, hit the outside shot, and maybe even operate out of the post and be a little clutch. That's a hard thing to find, obviously. Every team wants that. But if they could get somebody like that, that would be great. You know what I'd kind of like on him? Maybe I'm alone on this. Don't you think Julius Randle kind of would fit nice? 
as their four man. Somebody can put the oh, ball yeah. in his hands. I don't know how, how Julius would play. I mean, as as far as the system that Quinn wants, um, you know, I think Julius would have to be a little more probably disciplined, but mm-hmm. um, because the Lakers the Lakers system is so wide open, um, and I think at times they might get frustrated when Julius tends to freelance a little bit. But yeah, to have that type of aggression, um, a guy that's that just is not going to back down, always going at the rim all the time, rebounding and scoring. Because that's something that they probably would want out of favors and favors after all those surgeries he's had and everything like that. He's just not going to be as aggressive and as as active as Julius. Yeah. But Julius would be a really good fit there. Uh, one other name that I, I had heard uh, thrown my way when I floated this question. Uh, Nick, you've seen a lot of him this past series and this season. Uh, Jabari Parker, could that be someone that would be helpful? To Ooh, that's kind of a fun name to throw out there. I am not... Uh, I am not of the belief that Jabari at this point is a is a game changer in any way, guys. Uh, I'm I'm too yeah, nervous. Yeah, I, I take back my ooh. That's a interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I mean, for, first and foremost, I think that the gap between where Golden State and Houston are and where Utah currently sits is so massive that even one guy, uh, no matter what name we came up with, I don't think that would make enough of a difference to bridge it. But to the point about Jabari, Jabari, man, like there are times when you say, yeah, he's got it. Uh, he can still uh, really, really get uh, 20 points or so a night and be solid. But defensively, it's just not there. I, I don't yeah. I don't see it. And the question that I've been getting, Mr. Hahn, the last couple of months is, would, if you're the Bucks, and this is a different conversation, obviously, but it ties into what we're saying. If you're the Bucks, would you re-sign him for either big money or for a few years? I wouldn't. I would not. If it's Utah or any other team, I'd say, here's a, a year. We'll give you we'll give you a bunch of money for the year, and it's kind of like a make good deal. Uh, but if it's me and I'm building a team, not only am I not sold on Jabari as a big difference maker, I'm not sold that he can stay healthy and really help you over the course of, of a couple of years or so. I don't know what ZipRecruiter is. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, no, but seriously, you've never heard of ZipRecruiter, Nick? No, uh-uh. So one means you've never listened to the Hoop Collective podcast because mm. there are ZipRecruiter ads all the time. Um, and two, you must not watch basketball games because I feel like ZipRecruiter advertises. Yeah, I see commercials a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's that site that lets employers uh, search candidates very quickly and... Uh, qualified um, prospects to interview for their job Nick you've never heard of this hey that's awesome I like that sounds like a uh, that sounds like a solid place good ad read <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Han what I'm figuring out here is that 80% of employees who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day so that is absolutely something that uh, would be good not only for me to know, but for the whole world to hear about. It's uh, it's, it doesn't seem like you have any plans on being like a entrepreneurial businessman in a position to hire employees anytime soon, Nick. 
I'm just hanging on to what I got, my man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just hanging on to what I got. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. You know, the key is here, guys, the right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter will help you find them. They are the match in that job matchmaking process that we've all been through before. Good stuff. Of all sizes, trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash collective. That's right, ZipRecruiter.com slash collective. ZipRecruiter.com slash collective. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Royce, we're going to have to use ZipRecruiter to find another person to read this ad zip recruiter email today that's to the other series that had just a, un, a horribly unenthusiastic game one warriors and pelicans uh everyone on this podcast picked the blazers in round one and pelicans social media made it very clearly known that no one believed in them and that no one believed in them again against the warriors uh nick you are covering the pelicans this series and you pick warriors in five uh, how'd you come to that conclusion? How do you feel about it now? Well, I feel great. I, I, only, I only wish I uh, I had picked Warriors before after that game, uh, guys. But yeah, I, look, I've watched the Warriors as everyone else has all year. And I've always believed that A, they were the most talented team, and B, that they were just kind of going through this malaise in the regular season. Like, these games don't matter. It's not that big of a deal. And they could hit that proverbial switch. Uh, and you're getting Steph Curry back in game two. And I just feel like, at least in this series, they do what the Pelicans do best, better than the Pelicans do. And Alvin Gentry and that team, man, I mean, Friday and Saturday, they were so confident. Like, you know, we're going to play our game. We're going to do what we need to do, and we're not changing for anybody. <laughs> and they go out and just get drilled by like 30 in the first half, and you're going, well, that that may not be the best strategy, but this is what's gotten at least New Orleans at this point, and they're not going to sh- try to shake it up now. So uh, the Warriors are just head and shoulders to me above where New Orleans is at the moment. Uh, and uh, when you're getting the defensive effort and energy the Golden State put forth in that first half, especially in that second quarter in game one, on top of – the the offensive push that we all know they've got, I, I, I just think it's it's like the varsity and the JV right now. Here's here's where things are, Nick. Already is that people are trying to 
start rationalizing this series by saying, you know, what if Curry comes back and kind of messes up their rhythm? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's where things are. That's where like, I yeah. I was trying to convince You're... myself to pick the Pelicans, and I was talking with Pelton Come beforehand. On. You can't. Like, well, what if they did that? And he's like, well, I guess you could do it if you want, dummy. <laughs> but I'm here to where, talk yeah, you out like of you're that. Try, you're trying to like say like, what if like one of the like you know, I don't know wherever you want to rank Steph Curry, two time MVP comes back, one of the guys that's easiest to play with, fits in no sweat at all, basically just stand out there and shoot. Like, what if he? What if he kind of messes it all up? Like, okay, <laughs> you're you're really trying to dig here if you want to try to give the Pelicans a chance. If AD has. AD could have a monster game, and I know like when they played each other in the playoffs like a couple years ago, AD did have some monster games, but he has a better supporting cast this time around. If AD has one of these monster games, these you know, 40, 44 points, 15 rebound type of games, and Drew Holiday steps up and Rondo steps up, can they, can they not take one game? Then they'll only lose by like four. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I think they can win a game, and, and guys, game three in New Orleans is going to be insane. I mean, I'm really looking forward to the atmosphere in there, but even if they go and get drilled in game two, the Pelicans do, because yeah. uh, that, that city is always about a party, and you bring the defending champs in in a playoff series, and I'm sure it's going to be rocking. So that would be the game I would lean towards them finding a way to get. But as our friend Mr. Bontemps was saying the other night, I was sitting next to him at Oracle, uh, Tim Bontemps from the Washington Post, and he he's looking around, and of course, you know, Timmy Timmy loves to talk, and he's <laughs> does he he's talking and talking? Oh yeah, oh yeah, but it, he's he's going, man, he, I, and I can't even do the right Bontemps impersonation, so I'm not gonna try. <laughs> but he's like, you sub out Quinn Cook, and you put in Steph Curry. What do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, yeah, the man's got a point. So look. I know that there's probably going to be some rhythm issues with Steph back, but you plug in Steph Curry and you space that floor even more. And all that momentum that New Orleans had built up uh, and that confidence is just going to be broken, I would think, after game two here. KP, uh, you wrote an article about this last week, I believe, about whether the Pelicans' hot first round could sustain in this second round series against the Warriors, is there like a Cliff Notes version you want to share as to why that's not going to be the case? Yeah, the conclusion is that it generally doesn't carry over. I looked at like the eight teams that pulled the biggest upsets in round one, or at least played the best in their upsets relative to what they did in the regular season. And seven of those eight teams lost in the next round, most of them in five or or maybe six games. So you're saying there's a chance. Right. There's a chance. And one thing that I think I overlooked is like it – Felt, the fact that the Pelicans swept the Blazers made that performance feel more dominant than it was. Other than Game 3, those games were all close, and the Pelicans pulled away late. I mean, in Game 4, they got you know a combined, what, 80-something points from Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. And they still, there was a close game until the very end. I mean, Portland probably shot unsustainably well. But you know if you're playing at that high a level and still not that much better than the Blazers— then it's probably going to be a problem for you when you go up against the Warriors, especially when, as Nick pointed out at the very beginning of this, I thought Draymond Green in particular looked more locked in than we've seen at yeah. any time this entire season. Eastern side of the bracket. Wait, Mr. Han, wait, 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 wait. wait. Before we switch over, I have one more thing to add. It's been bugging me since we started on the Carmelo conversation. Royce, 
I listened to Dwayne Wade talk about, oh, you know, I got to see what I want to do for the future. Mm-hmm. Do I want to? Do I want to come off the bench? He wanted no part of the bench. And do I? Do it? What do I want to do? And then the deadline came for Dwayne Wade <laughs> to either accept or decline his like twenty-four million dollar option. Except. And 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 there was no question. And I still remember that night when it came, the news broke. He, he tweeted. He must have texted David Aldridge, uh, and, and David Aldridge tweeted out, you know, Wade's response as to why he picked up his option, and and he said twenty four million reasons why. Yep. So if Carmelo, despite I know what he said, and I know how it was perceived by a lot of people around the league, I don't see any way. That guy turns down that much money because he knows he's not going to get anywhere close to it yeah. on the open market. The, the only the only way – I mean, no, he's not turning it down. So I'm not going to say the only way he turns it down. But unless the Thunder can smooth that out, Nick, I think the conclusion is exactly what happened with Wade. He, right. Yes, he, I'm with you. Uh-huh. Yeah, he takes the money. The Thunder work a buyout and – you know, and then they they say they shake his hand. They say we'll see you next time. <laughs> and so thanks for your thanks on. for your time. And he'll yeah. say thanks for the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is like Life. it's like a thirty minute ago conversation about this where it was bugged you and you finally had to bring it up. Now he just had to get it off his chest. I, I had I could feel it building. And I mean, look, I, I'm with Royce. I love Carmelo. On top of the fact that he's been great and professional for what we do, I'm a Syracuse Orange man who watched him win a title. So. It's tough to watch him be this bad, but he ain't leaving. He's not a he's not a dumb guy. He, he knows what's up. He ain't leaving that much money on the table. side of the bracket uh we have raptors and Cavs finally starting that that second round after the Cavs needed seven to beat and like a herculean effort from lebron or i guess a lebronian effort yeah i was gonna say yeah to uh to oust indiana light work uh this is on the east we I mean, we were all unified on the on the western conference but on the east we are soundly divided nick ohm royce you pick Cavs in seven KP and I go Raptors. He went six. I went seven because, again, I'm a coward. Uh, KP, please <laughs> set the table for why LeBron's not going to make the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, I, I felt like whatever I picked in this series, I was inevitably going to regret it ultimately at the end of the series. Because on the one hand, if you pick against LeBron in the playoffs, like that usually doesn't go well. Uh is it didn't wouldn't have if you had picked against the, the the Cavs in Game Seven in the first round against Indiana before LeBron turned in that amazing performance? On the other hand, if you had taken the Cavs and ignored the fact that the Raptors were so much better during the regular season, somewhat better during the first round of the playoffs, and that this supporting cast for LeBron James is so incredibly underwhelming, like he's already saying how exhausted he is after Game Seven of the first round. 
that's pretty crazy before he even goes up against the, they even go up against the best team in the Eastern conference during the regular season. Uh, I will say the one thing that really gives me pause in this series is I think a lot of it's going to swing on the health of the, of two point guards, George Hill on the Cleveland side. We saw what a difference he made coming in in the second half of game seven against Indiana. Five injections. Five injections to play game seven. Oof, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's probably five too many. And then on the Toronto side, Fred Van Vliet, who basically missed the entire first five games of that series as the Raptors were a bit shaky in taking a 3-2 lead, and then came in. They were down 10 when he came in in the second quarter of Game 6 on the road. Looks like the Wizards are on the way to forcing another nerve-wracking Game 7 for the Raptors. And, like, bam, as soon as Van Vliet and that second unit get in there, the Raptors come close to tying it up. They pull away with him on the court in the fourth quarter and win comfortably words that have rarely been associated with the Raptors in the playoffs. Well, I'm, I'm like Pelton. It's like, uh, I'm just not going to pick against LeBron, uh, until I see it happen. I've got LeBron getting to at least Eastern conference. If he, until, until he's bounced, um, the Raptors as good as they were at times in the series. And maybe it's just fatigue for me, having been around the Raptors so often and having seen some of their playoff failures in the past. And KP is right. This series, we saw a lot of things, that the Toronto Raptors have done that they weren't used to doing, such as win a game one, such as take a 2-0 lead for the first time ever in a playoff series. And, uh, you know, then they closed it out in Washington on the road. There's something, though, about this Wizards team that was not, as much as they wanted to basically say that this was not a typical eighth-seeded team, the Wizards just weren't themselves. They weren't the same team that John Wall and Bradley Beal and those guys that took the Celtics to seven games last year, this team had issues going on, and they just didn't. They just never quite seemed like the old selves. Obviously, John Wall coming off surgery. The Raptors, at the same time, uh, there were times they would look great, and there were times where they still kind of looked like the old Raptors and would kind of like be unsure of themselves and let Washington back into the game or give Washington chances to pull out a game that they had no business taking. And so I feel like. If that happens again and the Raptors give those type of opportunities to LeBron, LeBron is going to seize them on top of the fact that LeBron probably has a mental hold over them because they just can never get past LeBron like most of the other teams in the East. So it's going to be really interesting to see because this 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 is a different Raptors team. I mean, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry don't have to carry the load as much or didn't have to against the Wizards because their bench was so good. I mean, even down to the fact that in the fourth quarter, game six on the road, DeMar DeRozan did not play that much in that fourth quarter because, as KP said, the bench was so good. Will Dwayne Casey trust this bench against LeBron in moments when things get tight? And then, the, you know, or does he revert back to trying to put everything on Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan? And do those guys revert back at times to playing that old bad Raptors ball where DeMar just tries to basically drive and do things all like himself? He did that at times against the Wizards. And will Kyle Lowry go into some funk or anything like that? It's going to be really interesting to see how this Raptors team reacts to once they see LeBron and if they can kind of pounce on this tired LeBron. It's the mental block for me on top of the fact that LeBron is LeBron and I would not bet against him to KP's point. I just can't see myself doing it. I think that he he is the dragon that the Raptors can't slay. And I don't like... The, the Cavs, the, you know, the, the rest of that group and the way they've played recently. <laughs> but when push comes to shove, until I see otherwise, I'm not betting against that guy against this team.
That's basically exactly what I was going to say, Nick. <laughs> I mean, that's seriously <laughs> like it, it, it feels really pathetic just to sit there and just say, because LeBron, but like, that is the, yeah. like, that is, that is how I feel about it. And, and we can sit there and say that, well, how is he physically going to hold up? And, and is the first round going to carry over to the second round? And can he play 44 minutes? Look, he's LeBron. I kind of think he can. And even if he doesn't, you know, I, I, I just, I, I, I don't know if it's more that I believe that much in LeBron uh, to the degree that I also don't really believe in the Raptors. Look, the Raptors are good. They've, they've earned their position. They have had a great season. They, they're so deep. They're so talented. They're so well coached right now. There's so much to like about the Raptors, but the anxiety in that building for game one and then game two, like if they don't come out of those first two games, two and oh, Raptors are going to f- be freaking out if they split in those opening <laughs> two games. And that's why I honestly yeah. feel like that this plays into the Cavs hands because the Raptors are going to be feeling some massive pressure in those first two games to be two Oh, and the Cavs are just like, just get one or two. So LeBron could honestly be like, look, I'm going to play 24 minutes in game one and I'm going to go all 48 in game two. And like, we just got to get one of these two. To really make this a series. The series is such a, uh, it's such a microcosm of conventional wisdom versus like evidence-based analysis, right, KP? Exactly. Like, it's, you know, you, you have to always guard against the specter of LeBron, but like everything that analysis says, and like if you watch all the games, you're like, the Raptors are really good, and there's no reason why the Cavs should win this series. Well, I mean, the Cavs, we have seen it recently. I mean, the Cavs did beat the Raptors at home, granted, in the last two meetings with LeBron basically being unstoppable. 35 points, 17 assists in the first of those two meetings. So I think if you asked me before the season, before the playoffs started, I would have said Cleveland over Toronto in round two. I was just shaken by how poorly the Cavs role players play. And, Whoa, you know, as much as we talk about. Wait a second. You just said you, in the previous. That doesn't carry over? Yes. I, I know. But but what I would say is that we expected <laughs> Cleveland to be able to hit another gear in the playoffs wow. as they did against the Toronto. The hypocrisy of KP has been exposed. Wow. I, well, I would have I would have taken Warriors over. I would have taken Warriors in four before the <laughs> Pelicans beat the Blazers. Uh, but. Like, you look I, at these two matchups, other guys stepped up. Like, George Hill scored 22 the first game. Jeff Green had 15. Like, do we count on any of these guys to do anything like this in this series? I mean, these Cleveland role players have been epically horrible in the playoffs so far and w- at what point does yeah, the, the pressure start to switch to cleveland and the narrative becomes is this the end of lebron's time here is it did at times in the indiana series yeah i, I don't know it's, it's interesting because like han said because the the mental the mental fact and the mental barrier there plays such a huge role it's like it's like royce said there is no place in the nba in the playoffs like toronto when a double digit lead starts to dwindle down and you can literally feel the crowd. I mean, I, we we saw when they would lead by 22 in the first quarter. If that lead got cut down to 13 or 14, you could feel the crowd get anxious and that whole feeling of like, oh man, here we go again. And it's this palpable like buzz in the arena, but it's a negative buzz. It's a buzz like, oh my god, they're about to blow this lead. And then it transfers to the Raptors. And so like you start to see like Dwayne Casey get a little tight, call a timeout really fast, and things like that. And also, we don't know if this bench, as good as they've been, they're also like young guys. I mean, OG has not been in a playoff. You know, he, he's going to be facing LeBron and trying to vanquish LeBron, help DeMar and Kyle do that. And Van Vliet and DeLon Wright, who passed up some shots at times against the Wizards in, in Game 4 in Washington. How are they going to be dealing in big-time minutes against the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron on the floor trying to beat LeBron? And 
all 18,000 or 19,000 people in the arena are nervous. That's like a thing that you just can't possibly try to figure out, like try to predict, you know? So Royce, I know you started with the Thunder in the playoffs and now you're with the Utah Jazz. How many days does that put you on the road? Puts me on the day de- on the uh, on the road a lot of days, and I can tell you this. Here's here's something about me, Andrew. I am a carry on only kind of traveler. Ooh, I'm I refuse. Also, yeah, I don't like to I check luggage. I refuse to check luggage. And one of the things that can be difficult about that is packing suits. And I don't know if you know this, but sometimes you need to wear a suit to a basketball game, especially when you have a television appearance. And that's why a neat company like Indochino. Can be uh, can be pretty helpful, I believe, in somebody in my predicament. Tell me about Indochino. What, what's, okay. what's so useful about that? It's the world's largest made-to-measure menswear company, and has been featured in major publications such as GQ, Forbes, Fast Company. Uh, one of the things that they do, they make suits and shirts made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Which that can be a that can be a struggle sometimes um, if if you're uh, of odd proportions. Maybe you're too tall. You got long legs. You got long arms. Whatever it might be. Maybe you're LeBron James. You're six foot eight and built like a uh, an absolute statue. Maybe you need maybe you need some special measurements. Um, guys love the wide selection of high quality fabrics and the option to personalize all the details, including your lapel lining and monogram. So here's how it works, though: you visit the showroom or you could shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric out, you choose your customizations, you submit your measurements. And then all you got to do is you just wait for your custom suit to arrive in a few weeks. That's it's easy as that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a pretty big deal because like more so than like brand names or whatever that it may be. Like I'm a big proponent that clothes will look good on you if it fits properly. And if they're taking your measurements, then obviously it's going to fit properly. You can buy the most expensive suit in the world, and I say this from experience. Well, not that I bought the most expensive suit in the world, but you can buy a very expensive suit, and if it doesn't fit you right or you don't get it like tailored to fit you, it's going to look bad. And so like, I completely agree with that. I can get my jeans tailored for crying out loud because wow. I want them to fit me right. Okay, I need to get I shouldn't, I don't. I, sh- I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need that, that jean tailoring money is what I need. Is... <laughs> yeah. That, that like twelve dollars to take get your jeans uh, <laughs> right. tailored. This week, listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just three hundred and seventy nine dollars at Indochino.com when entering hoop at checkout. That's fifty percent off the regular price for a made to measure premium suit. Plus, important here, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code hoop for any premium suit for just three hundred and seventy nine dollars and free shipping. An incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. Fifty percent off. That's that's not fooling around. Yeah, fifty. I just now like realized that fifty percent off. That's yeah. a lot. I, I went back and double checked to make sure that you didn't misread that, and it's like, oh, that's that's substantive. <laughs> that didn't even that didn't even register in my head as I was reading it. Three hundred seventy nine dollars for a suit is actually really not expensive at all either. No, not at all. I mean, again, like made to measure is like. That's not fooling around.
so the other second round series, Celtics and Sixers. Uh, everyone here picked the Sixers in five or six. Well, I picked them the Sixers in five. Everyone else picked Sixers in six, with the exception of a one Nick yes. that decided yes. that he's riding the Boston ship, ride or die Celtics. What <laughs> what's your belief on the Celtics, Nick? Oh man, I've gotten more texts about my supposed idi- idiocy on this pick, Mister Han, than anything. Uh, I mean, I, there's plenty of idiocy uh, of mine to go around, I'm sure, but this pick really seems to have pissed some people off. I just <laughs> watched the Celtics. I believe Brad Stevens is one of the very best coaches that there is. This team is extraordinarily well coached. They play defense extremely well. And I just, I'm not buying the Sixers yet. Uh, with Al Horford, and uh and Yabu and uh Baines, I think they're going to at least stay in front of Embiid. Uh, and I just I you know, the, the Sixers obviously are the favorite, but I, I'm also banking on the Boston crowd just being bonkers in this series and the team feeding off of that. So uh, that's where that's where it all stemmed from. And I know they may not have Brown here in game one, and everybody keeps saying, well, how are they going to score? I just feel like they're going to find some way. Uh, and as much as I am buying the Celtics, I think part of a big part of this for me is I'm not buying that the Sixers' time is right now uh, at this moment. Let me, let me say this, Nick, which I hear you. Let me read some ages. 21, 25, 24, 24, 20. Those are Celtics players. Those are like Celtics rotation <laughs> players. <laughs> I knew what was coming. I knew what was coming. <laughs> They're young too. I mean, everybody makes a big deal about the Sixers in their youth, but the Celtics with what they've dealt with, with losing Hayward and losing Kyrie, like, yeah, they've got, they've got, uh, you know, um, Al Horford and Aaron Baines. They've got a couple veterans, but so do the Sixers. The Sixers relying on Bellinelli and JJ Redick and Ersan Ilyasova. Uh, so, I mean, like the Celtics are like equally as young and in some ways younger. I mean, they're, especially if, uh, you know, Jalen Brown's just a second year player, but if he doesn't play game one, it's going to be all on Jason Tatum. So right. I, look, and Rozier, I, I, right. And Tatum's an actual rookie while Ben Simmons is a pseudo rookie. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I feel the same way just in terms of Brad Stevens and structure. And, and that's not to act like Brett Brown's not a great coach. I've got Brett Brown as the coach of the year this year. I think Brett Brown is fantastic. But I do think the Celtics can devise something to make life difficult on the Sixers. And, and and I think in some ways that maybe like a young team like the Sixers responding to like a very well-structured defensive scheme could be tough. Because I think the Celtics can really make this a grind. Because that's kind of what Brad Stevens, I think, can specialize in. And, and especially with Al Horford, they can stay disciplined and really try to make this a grind on the Sixers. But, I mean, it's not as if, it's not as if the Celtics aren't super young and inexperienced as well. I mean, that's kind of what Spo specializes in, too. I mean, he probably doesn't have the individual defensive talent, certainly doesn't have an Al Horford to anchor their defense like Boston does, but Philly responded extremely well against that Miami team, and I, I think that was very impressive to me in terms of how they're going to handle you know, the playoff stage. I can see what Nick is saying, where they, they've got the bodies to throw at Embiid, for sure. Uh, Horford with his defense, Baines with his muscle, you know, but, but I just wonder how they are going to stop Ben Simmons. Like, 
I'm sure, you know, that the, they're terrific. They're well, such a great coach team, and they'll find ways to, at times, do something. But, I mean, Marcus, what do they do? Marcus Smart on Simmons, you know, Rozier. I mean, it's like it's, he's such a mismatch at, for some teams that I just feel like the way Ben Simmons is playing, that to me was kind of like ultimately what put me over the edge with the Sixers and having the Sixers in the conference finals. Nick, you got any more thoughts on Carmelo you want to get off your chest? Oh, man. <laughs> you want to circle back on that? Who, who's better right now, Melo or Michael Beasley? Oh, man. Oh. Seems like a really mean question. <laughs> hey, Beasley was the number two pick in the draft. Okay. Give, give some love to Beasley. Hey, Nick, is Nick going to go let that reporter out of the closet yet? Let the let the record show for anybody who saw that tweet from my, my new best friend, Freddie Prinze Jr., I have not locked anybody in a broom closet. <laughs> uh, my phone like exploded after <laughs> after my man Freddie Prince tweeted that baby out. Like, oh man, I, uh, I, 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 like I, I haven't laughed that hard. I think my favorite came from my pal John Greenberg from the Athletic. He's like, we live in a world where Freddie Prince Jr. tweeted and Matthew Lillard may have seen it. <laughs> <laughs>